The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Well, hey, good morning, ACF Church. How you guys doing? You made it. You're here. Thanks for coming today. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to kick off a new series today called Unstumped. And so we're going to get to that here in just a minute. Uh, what you don't know in that video is they spent like four hours on the coldest day of this winter filming that video. And uh, so anyway, can we give our volunteers a hand here at ACF Church? You guys, listen, it's, uh, it takes a lot to make church run and to do the things that we do to make sure that, uh, that you guys have a, a, a safe and quiet place to be able to come up and learn. And, and for the worship team, they're working on music and, you know, our children's workers downstairs. I mean, there's so much great stuff going on here. And so if you see somebody that's serving today, would you thank them for, for serving and, and just honor them? If you see somebody in one of those love all, serve all t-shirts, uh, just say thanks for loving me, you know, uh, and, and just. Just thank them for being um, somebody who's willing to give up time and, and energy to the church. And so uh, it's just, I feel, like, I feel like the church should be a place of honor, shouldn't it? I feel like we should lead the way in honor and uh, in a culture that doesn't really honor that much. Um, we should be the ones that honor the most. And so let's honor them uh, this morning. But uh, how was the game? Did you enjoy it? The word of the Lord has spoken. The Broncos won. That's right. You know, I said it last week, and I was, I was right. So, but the Bible was right. So I'm just saying what the word of God says. So anyway, it was a good year. Uh, we watched the game. I watched the whole game, which was a really big deal for me. If you, if you know me, you know I'm not really a football fan. My wife, she is the football fan in the family. If you come up and you start talking football stats, she's going to be the one that jumps in, and my eyes are just going to glaze over, and I'm going to nod my head and act like I know what you're talking about, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And so, in fact, Amanda, one time, she was like, you know, I just feel like I need more emotional support um, during football. So would you please sit with me during the games, like when, when Bama was playing? She's like, I, I need your help. I need you next to me so that I can be uh, supported, you know. And so I've learned, but I watched the whole game with her, and, and it was good. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's all about the commercials, though, right? What was the best commercial? Puppy baby monkey, right? It was all about the puppy baby. What were they actually selling? Do we have any idea what they were selling? Was it Mountain Dew? Okay, so they were selling Mountain Dew. Nobody cares anymore, right? It's just like, yeah, that was funny. That was the best commercial. Uh, it doesn't matter what you're selling. Um, so watched the whole game, enjoyed it. But it's funny. Uh, football, like I said, doesn't flow from who I am. It's just not, um, it's not what I love. Uh, you know, if you sit down with me and you're like, hey, Brian, let's talk about um, an internal combustion engine. I'm going to get excited. If you're like, hey, I want to talk about hunting. I've got all kinds of opinions, you know. If you want to talk theology, I love it. I'd love to sit down. I, I love talking about theology. But some people, some people love football. You know, that's, that's your thing. And so what we're going to talk about this morning um, as we kick off this new series is that everything God does flows from who he is. Everything God does flows from who he is. Now, if I asked you, who is Jesus? What would your answer be? 
How would you answer that question? When I talk to people about this, a lot of people say, well, he, uh, you know, he saves me from my sins. Uh, he was a good man, a good teacher. He uh, helps me to get to heaven. Um, you know, he heals me. And, and, and when we talk about Jesus, what do we talk about? In general, we talk about what Jesus does, right? We talk about what Jesus does, how he can help us. And, and so the whole idea of this series was that I realized that a lot of times we don't have a succinct way of describing Jesus. Both when we need to understand who Jesus is, be reminded of who he is, and when we have friends that are asking questions. And so if you were to come up here right now and I were to sit down across from you, could you explain to me who Jesus is? And then from who he is, could you explain to me what he does? Could you do that? Would you feel confident in that? And I would say most Christians wouldn't. Most Christians would struggle to know, like, ah, John 3.16, right, football. Uh, God so loved the world. You know, like, we, we'd kind of pop out a couple verses and, uh, and maybe not know where to begin. And so the cool thing is the church that you're a part of is part of a denomination. It's called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And the alliance was, was founded under this desire to unify people from different Christian faith backgrounds to, to be together for Jesus and for the mission of the church. And it was, it was grounded in this idea that, hey, churches are really divided about a lot, of, a lot of things, a lot of silly things, aren't they? I mean, churches can be so divided about things that don't really matter. And then there are things that matter deeply to people that, honestly, when, when you look at it, probably aren't uh, the biggest issues, probably aren't things that we should be divided about. And so as uh, part of what we do, we come back to these four things about Jesus. We talk about Jesus as our rescuer, which is what we're talking about today. He is our refiner. He is our restorer, and he is our returner. And so these are the four things that we're going we're gonna to talk about Jesus being. So a lot of times when we talk about people, or we're talking about Jesus, we talk about either Jesus does or Jesus is. Either Jesus does or Jesus is. And uh, we want to focus more on who he is before we get to who, what he does for us. And if you're here today and you're like, uh, Brian, I don't really care much about this stuff. This sounds like a seminary class. I don't, uh, I don't really need to be in seminary. Here's the thing. Theology is so important. And every one of you in this room, you have a theology. Um, a theology is simply what you believe about God. That's your theology. You might say, um, I believe that God is the God of the Bible. Um, I believe Jesus was God. I believe he's good. I believe he's loving and he's caring. Um, others of you might say, I don't know. I, I think he's kind of distant. I'm not sure he cares much about my situation. Um, I'm not sure he's involved. You might say, I don't know if there is a God. And so your belief about God is that he doesn't exist. He's not real. And so depending on where you're at today, you have a theology of God. And your theology will drive your life. Like what you believe about God will determine how you act, the decisions you make, how you treat people, how you live this life, what's coming next. Does it even matter? Does what we do have make any difference in the grand scheme of eternity? So when you know who God is, it changes what you do. And so we're going to talk a lot about who God is and try to, try to get to know him personally so then we can know what he does in our lives. Let's pray together as we start. God, we, we ask that, uh, that you would be here. And God, thank you that you are in our midst, and God, that you want to speak to us. God, I want to pray for the person here who is, uh, is struggling, going through some really difficult things. God, the, the person here who needs a touch from their creator, needs to be reminded that you are here and that you care and that you are good. 
God, I pray for the person here who's excited about you, who's maybe in a brand new relationship with you and, and wants to know what's, what's next. God, could you give them vision for something greater? And God, could you move us all forward to the next step, God, that we could journey together towards the truth and towards Jesus. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you may or may not know, this week begins um, a, a very holy time of the year for the church. It's, it's called Lent. And in this Lenten season, uh, it's 40 days leading up to Easter where people oftentimes give up something. And so Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, and you might have seen people walking around town with the, you know, the ash, the cross on their foreheads. Um, depending on your church background, this may or may not be a big deal for you. I grew up going to Baptist church. We never did anything with Lent. It, it wasn't really talked about. If you grew up Catholic or from a liturgical background, maybe you did Lent. And, and uh, every year you said, I'm going to give something up. So it's, like, it's something like, uh, like sugar. I don't know if that would be hard for you. Uh, I'm going to give up chocolate or coffee. Maybe, maybe you're like a coffee every day, five times a day person. Um, Netflix. Maybe you're like, I'm going to give up Netflix. This is going to be a difficult one. Or maybe that's too much, too far, too far, Brian. Um, you know, I don't know what it is, but you're like, this is something that matters to me that I think about a lot. And for a season of 40 days, I'm going to give this thing up. Now, as I think about that, I, I think that's a really good thing. Um, the idea that we would recenter ourselves, that we would essentially fast from something so that we could be reminded of who God is, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, if you haven't considered doing that, you can still get in on this, you know, like God's cool with it. You missed a few days, but it's okay. You can jump in right now and you could, you could choose what is it for these days leading up to the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that, that I'm going to give up to remind myself of who God is. And here's how it works. It's real simple. Every time you think of caffeine or think of a coffee, you just think of Jesus. That's what you do. Every time you want to log on and watch Netflix, you're like, ugh. Jesus. And, and, and every time you want the thing that you gave up, you just think of what Christ has done for you. And so you, you can tell, like, if it's something that you really hate giving up, you're going to think about Jesus all the time, right? So that's going to be a really good thing for you. But here's the thing that's kind of, kind of interesting about people that, that do Lent. Now, some people who do Lent, they do it because all year long, Jesus is working in their lives. And they want to set apart a special time to think about him more often, to give something up for him. And that's a really good thing. You know, that's a really good thing to, to set up a, a special time to think about Christ. But then there are other people who come to Lent and they think, you know when the last time I thought about Jesus was? Last Lent. Last, last year. You know, like last time we did this. And they're like, okay, so for these 40 days, I'm going to dig my heels in. I'm going to give something up. I'm going to think about God. I'm going to, you know, get to Easter. You know, maybe I'm going to go to church on Easter. And then after that, whew, nailed it. Yes, did my Lent, you know gave something up. And, and so here's the problem with that, is when you think about that, that's not actually flowing out of who you are. And, and it's honestly a little strange if you, if you really think about it. Like, if you ask me, Brian, like, um, do you ever date your wife? I do, for 40 days a year. I, I go out on dates with my wife. If you're ever like, Brian, do you ever tell her that you love her? Sure I do, for 40 days of the year, you know? What about the other, like, 325? Nope, just those 40 days. Wash my hands of it, you know? I mean, if, if our relationship worked like that, you'd be like, that's kind of dysfunctional, dude. Like, you should probably, you know, create a pattern of, of being close to your wife and talking to your wife and being in a relationship with her through the whole year. Like, that, that Lent season should flow out of what's happening in the rest of your life. Here's the problem with it, is when you start participating in, in sort of religious activities like this, 
without love? Like, like this is what Jesus got so fired up about when he was walking on earth. Like, to, to sacrifice something without love, that is the dry tinder of empty religion. That's where it comes from. When you start seeing yourself giving things up without an actual affection for God, flowing from simply a desire to get God to be cool with you, you have, you have got the dry tender to, to light a fire of empty religion in your life. And so we have to watch out for that. We have to make sure that these things flow from the love of God so they develop more love for God. Here's who God is. Here's who God is. Because God, like I said, operates from who he is all the time. 1 John 4, 8. If you want to follow along on the screen behind me, you can as well. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is what? Love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So he starts off by saying, hey, if you don't love people, you don't know God. If you don't love God, you don't know him. If you don't love, if love doesn't flow from who you are, then it's a sign, it's a symbol that you don't know God because God is love. And when God comes into our lives, he makes us loving people. Then he says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Who, who's he talking about? Anybody? Jesus, right? Jesus. You guys awake? Okay, you're with me. All right, we're good. So who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. The love of God was made manifest among us in that he sent his son into the world. So God, in his love, because of who he is, responds to the world by giving us Jesus. So it's important to know this, and this is key, that, G that God isn't just loving sometimes. God doesn't love you 40 days a year. God doesn't act loving. You know when you act loving? Is there somebody in, in your life that you act loving towards, but you don't, <laughs> you know, don't, don't elbow them. But who is it that you like, you act loving towards, but you don't really Love. See, God doesn't do that. God doesn't act loving towards people that he doesn't love. God always is who he is. And so in that love, he showed his love by sending Jesus to the world. Here's why this is important. Because if God is love and Jesus, we believe, is God, the Son of God, the manifestation of God on earth, then that means Jesus is love. Jesus is love. If God is love, Jesus is God, Jesus is love. That's important to know. And, and I want you to think of that all as one unit because I think a lot of people, we, we're cool with Jesus. We're like, oh, he's cool. But I read the Old Testament and it just looks like God wants to light people on fire sometimes. And I'm like, I don't know about that God. I'm not sure he's so loving, you know. And so we have a hard time reconciling the context of those two situ situations and these are difficult things to wrestle through. And so we end up with it sort of this, like, I like Jesus, but his father, it, it, you just want to stay out of his way, right? He's just always stomping around, wanting to, wanting to hurt somebody. And, and that's, we have to realize, God is love. Jesus is God. Jesus is love. All one in the same. And so when you find out that that's who he is, you can begin to, to follow him for who he is instead of for simply what he does. Because that's a God that I want to be in a relationship a loving God. But the truth is, most people don't really come to God that way. Most, most of us don't access God that way. Uh, most of us come to God looking for a favor, but end up finding a father and a friend. Most of us come to God looking for a favor, but end up finding a father 
and a friend. It's kind of like, what can God do for me? And essentially, isn't that how a lot of Christians sell Christianity? Like, come to God. He's going to make you all better. He's going to fix your problems. He's going to give you all the things that you need. Come to God. Like, he's going to make you better. And, and, and essentially, we sell sort of this consumeristic approach to Christianity. It's like, what can God, what can Brown do for you? That's just what came to mind. What can God do for you? See, advertisement, it works in my head. Uh, what can God do for me? And then, and then I think, okay, so I'm going to come to God. He's going to make my life better. But when you do that, what happens is God reveals his loving nature to you. And he doesn't always give you what you want. He doesn't always make it better, but you find out that he's a, he's a father. He rescues us from the very core of who he is. He rescues us because he is love. And, and I hope that you can reconcile that with some of what you've seen in the world. Maybe, maybe with some of the things that you've dealt with with God himself, or even with Christians and with the church. I hope that you can reconcile that and see that God rescues because God is loving. He doesn't act loving. He doesn't have to think about it. He just does it. So I had a few questions about God as our, Jesus as our rescuer. I, had a, I wanted to kind of walk through these, and I just thought, what are the things that I wrestle with when it comes to Jesus as our rescuer? And so there, this is going to be sort of kind of Q&A a little bit, um, just right out of my head, um, so that we can, we can wrestle a little bit with the rescuer of Jesus. The first is this, why do I need rescuing? Have you ever thought this? Or maybe you're thinking that today. Brian, don't tell me I need to be rescued. I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I, feel like, I feel like people in general are doing fine. Why do we need any help? Why do we need, I think about those kids, you know, the little baby when the dad was asleep is just like tipping over, you know, like she didn't think a whole lot about it. She wasn't like, I'm going down, help me. You know, she's just, she's going to go down and, it, and it's going to hurt. And when it hurts, it's like, oh, that was, that was bad. I could have used a hand back there. But, you know, most of those little kids, they're just thinking like, oh, here I go towards the car, you know. I mean, they're not thinking a whole lot about it. They're just doing what they're doing. And the father steps in and says, you need my help just at the right time. And we think, why do we need rescuing? I'm doing just fine. I'm okay. And the deeper question here is really this question. Is mankind inherently good or inherently bad? And this is a question, I think, that should be wrestled with. In, in general, are we intrinsically good or are we intrinsically bad? And this is a hard thing to deal with because you're going to look around in this world and you're going to see really bad things. You're also going to see really good things. And you're going to wrestle with, then what does that mean about us? The, the theological term is original sin. Like, where did, where did this begin? And are, are some of us bad and some of us good? And what determines whether we're bad or whether we're good? And at what point does, is something a small bad thing that doesn't define who we are? Other things are like, no, that's a bad person. Look at what they did. And how do we decide all of that? It gets really messy. But this is important for us to wrestle with. Because if we're going to talk about Jesus as our rescuer, it begins by us saying, do we need to be rescued at all? What's, what's the whole point? We talked a few weeks ago about who we are in this world. And the Bible talks about us as not people who need to be patched up, not people who just need a little helping hand, but as literally the dead. The Bible talks about people that when we were born, it's like we're born stillborn, born without a heartbeat. It, the Bible says that we were dead in our transgressions, dead in our sins, and that Jesus, he didn't come to sanitize the sinners, but to breathe life into the breathless. 
You see the difference? He didn't come to wash us up a little bit. Like, we're already doing pretty good. He came to give dead people life. Romans 8, 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death spread to all men. So he's going back to the beginning, back to the garden. So just remember back, perfect relationship between God and, and, and mankind. Adam and Eve in the garden, there's, they take the fruit, knowledge of good and evil. All of a sudden, sin enters into the world. And now there's a broken relationship between them and God. And we have inherited this relationship from our ancestors. We are born sinful, with a, with a sinful propensity. And, and we always talk about this, but as parents, you know this, like you don't have to teach your kids to be little sinners, do you? Oh my gosh, I love my children, but you don't have to teach my three-year-old to steal something from his sister. You don't have to teach him to freak out when he doesn't get what he wants. You know, you don't have to teach him to punch the other kid that took his ball. Like he just, he does it. He knows to do it. It's like we were born with this nature, this selfish, sinful nature. So if that's not offensive, uh, let's move on to Romans 3. Um, Romans 3.10. And let's read what the word says about us. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. The, the, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Just let that soak in for a second. None is righteous, no, not one. Is it you? Nope, it's not. There's not one that is righteous. Makes it so clear. Now, this is hard. This is offensive for a lot of people because it's like, but Brian, uh, like, I do some pretty good stuff. Seriously, I, I pay my taxes, sort of, most of the time. Um, I, I try to do a good job at work when I show up on time. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be a good dad, you know, when I actually hang out with my kids. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get through life, and, I, and I'm, I do good things sometimes, Brian, and there's this, this feeling that my good things have justified my bad, bad things, you know? If I did enough good things, I have justified my bad things. So who are you to tell me that I am wrong? And so there's this sort of cultural understanding of right and wrong that it's all relative, Right? That what's wrong for you could be right for me. What's right for you could be wrong for me. And, and essentially, if you're not hurting me and I'm not hurting you, just kind of do what you want. Just kind of do what you want. Now, society doesn't work this way at all, but this is kind of the way that we view our spirituality. Like, as long as nobody's hurting anybody, it's, it's not really that big of a deal. We don't really want a standard that goes across the board because that's judgmental, right? Don't judge me. Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong I'm the one to determine who's wrong. Well, I want to be in charge, right? We all want to be in charge. We all want to be the ones to say whether what I'm doing is right or wrong, good or bad. But here's the problem with that. Have you ever run into a situation where you've looked at it and you've said, that's just wrong, right? Have you ever seen somebody do something and said, that was just plain wrong? 
And I think if you're honest, if you looked at your life, you would be able to pick out at least moments where you made decisions that you would say, okay, that was wrong. Like cross the board. Anybody can see that that is just plain wrong. So if you've ever done that, then it begs the question, who decides whether it was wrong or not? Is it you? Is it, is, it, is it just the cultural norm? If people accept that it's okay, is it okay? If they think that it's wrong, is it wrong? Does that help anybody? And so at some point we have to go like, there has to be a standard. Because if you can't embrace a standard, then you can't enforce a standard. If you can't embrace that there is some kind of standard at some point where things become wrong and things are not right, then you, have, you, can't, you can't enforce a standard and say, well, what you're doing is wrong. Because any of us in this room, at any given moment, if I put something up on this stage, I could, do, I could do something or show you something that would just be wrong. And we'd all say, that's wrong. Who are we to judge, right? That's the thing we're not. That's why we need God. That's why we need the help of his scripture, because we need him to determine what is good, what is bad. So then comes out this word that people hate to talk about, sin. So if something's wrong, essentially it is sin. So sin is a scary word. People hate that word. A lot of churches don't want to say the word sin from the front because, again, it's offensive, just like I think I read the most offensive verse in the Bible here. Um, There's probably others, but it's a, it's a hard word. We don't want to be told that what we're doing is wrong. We don't want to be told that we're messing up. But here, I want you to, I don't know what your definition of sin is, but I want you to consider defining it this way. Sin is a distortion of God's perfect plan for humanity. Sin is a distortion of God's perfect plan for humanity. Now, why do we want to define it this way? Because Like we said, it started off with with a perfect relationship between God and mankind. And then that relationship was broken and sin entered the world. And ever since then, all the good things that God has given us as people have been distorted. Now, they may in some ways resemble what they were intended to be, but there are distortions of them. And you can look at your entire life, you know? Look at your entire life. Everything from the resources God has given us to our sexuality. I mean, just pick pick a number. I mean, there's anything that you look at, you can see, oh, there's there's something beautiful there. And yet I can see in my world that this has been distorted in one way or another. That is sin. And it's important that we view it this way because I think a lot of people run from the idea of sin. We don't want to call things sin because we just think sin is a way of God taking away our fun. It's a a way of God taking away what we think is better. But at some point, what you realize is that God's way is actually better. And at some point, as a believer in Jesus, as you start walking this road, you start start doing things that that please God, and you see, okay, this is actually helping me. This is helping my life. This This is valuing me, valuing the people around me better. Like, my family's actually better because I'm living by the standard that God Gives me. So I'd encourage you, think about sin that way. It's anything that is a distortion of God's perfect plan for you. And so when somebody says, hey, that's sin, or when you read the Bible and it defines something as sin, you think about it that way. Like, God's actually not trying to just hurt me here. He's trying to help me. He's trying to give me something better. 
So the debate rages on about like whether you were born sinful or you know, people talk about there's an age of accountability that you know, at a certain age you become accountable for your sin, but until then you're not. You know, if, if you act sinful or not, like it, the, the debate rages on. You can go to your life group. You can argue about it all day if you want, um, but we're going to focus on this one truth that I know. I've never, read, I've never met anybody with a perfect record. I've just not met anybody, and the Bible makes it very clear that anyone who doesn't have a perfect record is sinful and has, has, is, is unable to be in a relationship with God. And there's only one with a perfect record. His name is Jesus. That's why we need access to God through him. So we start with that. We are all guilty no matter how big our mistakes or small our mistakes are. Number two, second question is, can I rescue myself? Can I rescue myself? You guys still with me? Offended? Okay, I hope not. Um, can I rescue myself? So remember this, we started with this idea that Jesus doesn't come to sanitize the sinners, but to breathe life into the breathless. But there's this thing that says, okay, well, if I need to be rescued, why can't I just do it myself? Why can't I? So think about the culture that we live in right here in Eagle River, if you're from Anchorage or Palmer, Wasilla, like think about where we live. Now, um, who here has been in Alaska over 20 years? Anybody over 20 years? Got some good long-time Alaskans here. Awesome. I love that. Who is, uh, has been in Alaska less than five years? Less than five years? Okay. You know, another maybe half of you. Uh, who doesn't like to raise their hand in church? Okay. Yeah, a couple, sweet. I'm down. Whatever. Just play along. It's fun. Um, so we have, this, we have this like Alaskan mentality, and I have never lived somewhere that is more proud of their state. Like, I have never lived somewhere with people that are more proud because we love Alaska, right? We're like, don't you see us on TV? We are awesome. I mean, think about what we do. We can trap, we can fish, we can take care of ourselves. I mean, think of how far we are from the lower 48. We can do whatever we want. We can take care of ourselves in Alaska. There's also a military crowd. Who's military in the room? Military families, military people, retired, yep. So big military crowd in our city, in our church. And in the military, there's a certain similar um, perspective. Uh, my dad was Air Force. I have a lot of military friends. And so there's this sort of like, hey, what needs to be done? And I'm going to get it done. Like, you know, give me some matches and duct tape, and I'm going to sail across the Atlantic. Like, what, what do you need me to do? Just give me the tools to do it, and I'm going to knock it out. I'm going to take care of it. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll get it done. So independence. And then there's people, I would say, in this room um, I know who have come from a couple of different back backgrounds. We talk about how ACF Church is a church for the churched, unchurched, and dechurched. And so some of you in here, you can't remember a day that you didn't go to church. It's like, this is part of your life. You go to church. You grew up in the church. You're just loving Jesus. Others of you um, went to church at one point in your life, and you were like, I don't want to be part of that. Uh, I don't like those people. I don't like what they represent to our society. Like, I don't want anything to do with it. And then you've wandered back here for whatever reason uh, in your life. And, and then maybe you're also the unchurched. And you, this is, you have no context for this. You literally show up to church, and I talked about Adam and Eve, and you're like, um, I need to read up on that. I'm not sure what that's about. I haven't ever heard that story, so I'm going to go back to Genesis. I'm going to learn about Adam and Eve. And you, you just have no context. But if that's you... Neither of those categories, that means you've spent a season of your life getting by on your own, you know, like just doing it without God. And, you know, I mean, he's out there somewhere, but you're trying to do what you can, trying to make good choices, trying to live the best life that you can. Again, there's this independent mentality 
that I see in our church and in our city and in our state. Like, I, like I can do this. I can do it. Flip over to Mark 10 if you have your Bibles. You can also read this on the screen. I want to read you a quick story. Mark 10, 17 says, And as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. We just read that, didn't we? You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It's a great story. So Jesus is walking through the city. This man sees Jesus. And uh, this guy's an A student. Right? Top of his class. Like, he has got religion down. You know? Hasn't killed anybody. You know? Is honoring his father and mother. Doesn't defraud. Like, he is following the law. He's doing a good job. And he's kind of proud of himself for that. He's like, ah, I'm, I'm kind of nailing this whole, this whole thing. This whole spirituality thing. So he runs up to Jesus, you know? Like a kid that has like a test that they know they got 100% on and they're like, and, the, and it like presents the test to Jesus and Jesus, Jesus looks at him. I love that it says, and he loved him. You know, this isn't like I'm trying to judge you and look down on you. Jesus loved him. He says, oh, you did a good job, but you just, you lack one thing. Now this guy, like I don't know his situation, but clearly he was doing pretty well for himself. Like, I don't think he was driving around like a Honda Civic, you know. I don't think he was renting a, 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 you know, a duplex or this guy had a nice car, a nice house, nice stuff. And, and Jesus knew this. And, and he always has a way of getting right to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? Like, like he doesn't let us play games with him. And he says, you, you just lack one thing. And I wonder if he was like, oh, like, I'll, I'll go do it. You know, I don't know what it is. I'm sure it's, I've handled all of this. I'm sure I can take care of it. And he's like, just sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And I just would imagine him, like, his heart dropping and getting kind of nauseous. Like, did he really just say that? Oh, maybe, maybe Jesus is like a metaphor or something, you know? Sell everything I have, have you know, like, 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 I don't know. I'll give something up for the poor. Jesus says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And then just come follow me. So give it all up. Go homeless and follow me. And the guy walks away sad because he had a great possessions, had a lot of stuff. So I read this. And I think about all the good things that we try to do. Like I think about all the good things in your life that you're like, Brian, here's my test. Look, I got so much right. I mean, it's almost all right, in fact, if I'm honest. Maybe it wasn't so right back in the day, but it's pretty right at this point. And what Jesus would do, if, if that was you, if you came up to Jesus, he would look at you and he would tell you your one thing. He'd bring up the one thing. Like, what's, what's your one thing? Think about it right now. What is it? What's the one thing that if Jesus says, I want you to change this. I want you to give this away. I want you to give this to me. That you would say, Nope. You know, I ran up to you thinking I would do anything for you, but at this point I realize that I won't. I realize that there is always going to be one thing. 
There's always going to be one thing. And maybe for you, you're like, I'm like the guy there. I love my stuff. I got my car. I got my house. I mean, I get security from what I have, and that's, that's what it is. That's my idol. I love that. I'm actually more secure in that than I am in following Jesus. Because when I'm given the, the decision, I will choose that over Jesus. Maybe that's it for you. Maybe it's something with your kids. You're like, I, I, honestly, I don't trust God with my kids. I don't trust God with my kids. Maybe it's your job. I don't, I don't know what it is for you that you're like, nope, I'm not willing to do it. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty religious. But I've always got one thing. Again, it just comes back to this whole idea that we were dead in our sin, unable to help ourselves. No matter how pretty you look on the outside, that we are broken and rebellious on the inside. So how does, how does Jesus rescue? Let's just walk through this, like this next question. How does he rescue? What does this actually look like? The first thing is he convicts. We'll call it conviction. Conviction. This is this idea that something needs to change. Maybe you're here today because you've been convicted. Because you've been going through life and you're like, I felt like it's okay. I felt like it's fine. And then my marriage started falling apart. I dealt with some stuff at work. Or, or maybe just a friend invited you and you felt like, I feel like there's this spiritual aspect of my life that's missing. Something needs to change. John 16, 8 talks about how the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself in the Spirit works in the, in the world to convict people of sin. Now, this is, a really, this is really good news. Um, if you're here today and you've got a friend that you're like, that person would never step foot in church. Or if you've got a family member that you've been praying for for years and you're like, God, would you just get a hold of them? I'm just, I, I just want to see you break into their life. I want them to see you for who you are. And, and you don't know what to do. Understand this, the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. What we understand about the Spirit is the Spirit is drawing people to himself. Now, when you become a believer, we believe the Holy Spirit dwells in us and we're empowered by the Spirit to do the work of God. But until then, the Holy Spirit does speak to people. So don't think that the Holy Spirit is just, just one who only speaks to believers, but he also speaks to those who are not believers. And he's the reason that you would ever come into the church, that you would ever pray to, to receive Jesus. He's the only reason that you would ever change your life. It's because the Spirit of God speaks to you and gives you the strength to do, you, to do that. Because like we said, who are we at our core? Sinful. So we need help. The Spirit helps us and works in our lives. The next step is awakening. Conviction, and then we're awakened. Awakening. This is our seeing for the first time. Anybody here had LASIK surgery before? Ever had LASIK surgery? A few of you guys? So LASIK surgery is, uh, is crazy. I've never had it done. My mom had it done. She wanted me to watch the video. Did you guys get the video? It's super gross. I'm not sure why people want to do that. Like, hey, take kids. Everybody watch mommy's eye get chopped in half. Like, it's super awesome. So anyway, the video, uh, I did not watch it, but it was interesting to hear my mom talk about it when she got it because she's like, yeah, it feels like there's sand in your eyes for a little while and then, you know, it gets a little bit less blurry and then at some point, you wake up one morning and it's like you're seeing for the first time. I mean, she had bad eyesight from being very young and so for, for her, like getting to see without glasses, it was like a whole new world. The colors were brighter. She could see people's faces better, road signs when you're driving. I mean, everything was completely different. And this is how it works with God. There's this moment that you're convicted, and then there's this awakening to deeper things. And you start to see your life for what it is. 
You see the good, bad, and the ugly for what they are. And you see other people's lives for what they are. And things that you used to see in the world that you were like, hey, that's fine. That's just, you know, that's right for them. It's okay. It's okay. Now you're looking at it and you're going, I think there's a better way. I think there's a better way than that. Awakening. We need awakening. But until then, it's all just going to look like craziness. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Really simple. He's saying, before you have been awakened by the Spirit of God, you're going to look at what Christians do and what the, what the church does, and you're going to be like, that is a waste of time. It's a waste of energy, a waste of resources. Why would they do that? Why would people do that? Why are you guys up early on your day off? You could be sleeping in. I mean, this is ridiculous. Why, why would you give of your resources to the community? Why do we do that? Why are we dropping eggs out of a helicopter at Easter? You know, like, here's the thing. It's not about the stupid eggs, right? It's not about the eggs. It's about simply showing our community that we care for them, giving them a good time with their kids, showing them we love you, giving of our resources to say that we care for you. But to people, they're going to be like, people show up every time and they're like, where do I pay? Because where else do you show up to something? And it's like, yeah, no, nothing's free in this world, you know? It doesn't make any sense, you know? Where do I, what do I do? It's, it's us, the church, saying we want to love you. We want to show you that we care for you. We're doing a 24-hour prayer. And uh, it's the first time we've done this as a church. Uh, we pray as a church. We pray as a leadership team. But we've never done 24 hours of prayer together. And so here next week, this is your last morning to sign up. You can go over here, and you can fill up the last spots. There's only a few spots left, and I want to see them gone this morning. But we're going to gather in this room, um, not together, but you're going to show up, and you're going to spend 30 minutes praying. It'll be the fastest 30 minutes of your week, I swear to you, because you're going to sit down. It's going to be all lined out. It'll be very clear. You're going to show up for 30 minutes, and then you can go. And for 24 hours straight, we're going to pray for our, our church. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray for the needs within our community. We're going to pray for our nation, which we should be doing right now, right? right? We should be praying for our nation. We should be praying for our president, praying for our future president. We should be praying for this stuff. And so we want to be a house of prayer. So we're going to do that. And uh, some of you are like, that's weird. I would never do that. Um, but I would challenge you to come in. I think it's going to be powerful to do it because uh, we actually, if you believe that God hears you when you speak, um, then we should be a people of prayer. So the last step is this regeneration. Regeneration. This is new birth. Ezekiel 36, 26. I love this passage. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. It's awesome. So God literally gives us a new heart, a new life. He changes us from the inside. And if you're like, that's cool, Brian, but my life is still a mess, come back next week because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how there's this tension. Like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You're a new creation. That's awesome. But then why did I just do that last night or yesterday or this weekend or whatever it may be? So we're going to talk about that next week. Last thing is this, then what's different? Then what's different, Brian? What changes when I follow God? Romans 6, 1 says, What then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? 
Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. So, here's what's being said. Once you follow Jesus, it's like the old you was put to death. And that's why we do baptism. So we talk about this every week when we do baptism, is that when you go under the water, it's a symbolism that that old you is gone. No more. Like never to be resurrected. And then there's a new you with a new heart that comes up out of the water and you're given new life in Christ. Now here's why this is so important. You guys, listen, I know we're almost done, but this is why this is so important. This is a soapbox I get on because I feel like there's a lot of Christians that walk around through this life. Now they have been resurrected. They've been given a new heart and they still act like they're underwater in the sense that they don't believe that they've actually been changed. And so you say things like this, Brian, I'm just, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. You know, I'm just a mess. And, uh, you know, Jesus saves me, but I'm really just a mess. I'm really just a wreck. Now, here's, here's what's so, so problematic about that is because if you're just a wreck, then what hope do you have in changing your life? If you're just a wreck, then when Jesus says, hey, here's the better way of living, here's a better life, then you're actually going to have to step out of who you are to act like this. You're actually faking it and acting out of character, being a good person. And so what's important for you to do is go, okay, no, I'm not this sinful person that's in the water. I've actually been resurrected to new life. And although I am broken and I still make mistakes, at my very core, I'm identified by Christ. And I want you to believe that because you're going to make some mistakes. You're going to do some stuff and you're going to be like, see, there I am. I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner, see? But when you realize that you have been given new life in Christ, then when you act like Christ, you're actually acting in character. And now sin is out of character for you. Do you guys get the difference? It's, it's such a key transition that you see that life in Christ motivates you to experience new things. So here's where I want to close. We get a new heart. What's different? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And what happens to people who get a heart transplant is, it's interesting. What they talk about is how they have like new energy. Have you ever met somebody that's had a heart transplant? What they say is, man, I want to go running. I want to I like be active. I want to go do some things that I never wanted to do before. I didn't have the energy to do before. And what happens is you're given this new heart, this new life, and you're giving a new vision for your life. And so here's what I want to close with. Here's who we are because we've been given as the church a new heart is we are the rescued rescuing others. We are the rescued rescuing others. Here's, here's exactly what that means. It's really simple. If you have received Jesus and you're, you're like, yep, Brian, I went into the water, I came up out of the water, and now I've got a new heart. You're now identified with Christ and now you've got this memory of the old you and you think, man, I don't want anybody else to live that way. Like, I can't stand the idea that there are neighbors and friends and co-workers in my life that are still under the water, that are still without a heartbeat, that have not chosen a better way, that don't even see, have not even been awakened to a better way of life. I can't stand that idea, and so I've been given this new vision, this new excitement. My new heart has changed me. And see, that's, if you're not on mission, if you're here today and you're like, yeah, Brian, I'm not really on mission. I don't really care. I'm going to leave here and I'm not going to do anything about this. Then you have lost your vision. 
And you have to go back to the very beginning. If you say, Brian, no, but I'm a believer. I'm a believer in Jesus. I've been changed. Then you need to remember where you were, what you were saved from and remember what it was like to not be awakened to this new life in Christ. And that's going to motivate you to think about the people around you and to think, man, I can't imagine them not living with Jesus. So we are the rescued, rescuing others. That's what we do. That's what we're here for in this city. We will never be a church that comes here and leaves on Sunday and doesn't do anything about it. As much as we as a leadership team can, can encourage and we as a church can be that, we want to be a church here for our city because we believe there is a better way. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for rescuing us. God, thank you for giving me a new heart. God, I confess that my one thing is my reputation. And God, many times I don't want to risk that. I don't want to risk being seen a certain way. I want to be that person. And God, I, I uh, ignore opportunities. God, to help people, to care for people, and even to talk about faith things because it's just not worth the risk to me. God, I pray you'd convict us deeply. God, everybody in this room. What is our one thing? And Father, that we could release that one thing to you. God, that we would trust in the finished work of Jesus, that he's who rescues us because he is so good. He is so loving. And God, that you would, you would uh, multiply us as we leave this space, God. That you would not let us rest doing religious duties, coming to church, going home, being no different. God, that you would, you would bring it on our hearts, the people around us who desperately need your hope. God, that you'd wake us up at night reminding us of people that we need to be praying for. God, that we wouldn't have a 40-day-a-year spirituality, God, but we would have an all-encompassing love for you, God, because you first loved us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.